Thanks, worship team. Good morning. We're going to move into our time of scripture reading this morning, and no one's supposed to be cutting onions, so if I have trouble reading, um, it might be because of the song. So it's good that we're in God's family. Um, as a family, I also want to remind you as we read scripture that there's Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. If you need a Bible, if you want to take a Bible, um, if you know someone who needs a Bible and might not be able to afford one, take the Bible that, that's there. As a family, we want to be hospitable to you, and we really enjoy when people read God's word. So we'll do that together this morning. The passage for today is from the book of Philippians. Um, the letter to the Philippians is found on page 1784 uh, because we're going to read from chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. It's Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18 on 18, 1784. Philippians 1 from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the other brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It's the word of the Lord written for his people. not yet come. I think you can operate the PowerPoint from there. And again, good morning, High Point. Good to see you all. It's been uh, so long. Uh, I just came back uh, from India after serving there for uh, two and a half months in hot summer, May and June, I was there. And uh, I traveled in seven states. Uh, before that, let me tell, for those of you who are actually new here, my name is Manohar, and I serve as one of the ministers at High Point. Well, uh, I also have other hats, ministry hats that I wear uh, for the sake of um, the gospel. So I was in India, uh, traveling in seven states, preaching in various churches, uh, encouraging believers, praying with them. And on top of that, I was able to uh, train 1,055 pastors in seven states of India, along with my team. It was, it was glory to God. And it was amazingly powerful for me to be enriched, rather than they get benefited. So. Uh, Thank you for praying. And we also uh, helped uh, five churches uh, with financial grants so that they could build uh, churches for themselves and worship freely and safely. And we had uh, an eye clinic uh, before I was uh, 
coming back to the States. And uh, we did that in memory of my mom's birthday as well as death day, same day she died, the day she was born. And we had 160 people coming for eye visits, you know, eye uh, doctor visits. And uh, we were able to provide 65 pairs of glasses to them and medicines, and we um, scheduled eight surgeries for them. And I just wanted to tell you that we couldn't do all of this without your support. Whatever we do there, it's all your work because of your generosity. I just wanted to thank you. Even that's happening in Dominican Republic or Ukraine or in India, you are touching the world. So you have that pride of being the church, the body of Christ. So that's enough, and I do not know whether I have PowerPoints for today. I made it, but uh, they're stuck somewhere in the air. <laughs> right, let's get back to the Word. And uh, last week, the guest preacher, Adams, uh, or Adam, preached that the time makes everything meaningless unless we invest wisely from God's perspective. But today we are coming back to the book of Philippines, Philippians and trying to draw some lessons from Paul's passion for evangelism, how he had advanced in his gospel to the world. And when he was actually writing to the Philippians, he was actually writing from a place of confinement. He was in chains. And when he was writing, he was just giving hints to them that I am writing this in my chains. When he says that, he is knowing that the Philippian church was aware, aware of his surroundings, they knew that he was arrested almost three years ago in Jerusalem, and then he stayed in Caesarea jail for two years, and from there he was transferred to Rome, and then he was waiting there for another trial under chains. Now, when Paul was trying to send this thank you note because they stood with him in his suffering with prayers, with financial support. Now he's writing this thank you note and referring to his suffering, not because he wants to draw their attention to him or trying to tell that you know, their money is being wasted, but he's trying to just tell them that their prayers and support was not wasted. And he's saying, the chains that he was in were actually working towards the very purpose that he has been called to. Sometimes we think that suffering, you know, prevents us from doing things to our full potential. But that is not what happens in the kingdom perspective. And this is what Paul says in verse 20 from chapter 1, sorry, verse 12, chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, 
most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more. Look at here, somebody's suffering is causing dareness in someone else to proclaim the gospel without fear. What happens to people when they go to jail? When people are in jail or in a place of imposed restrictions, they are almost unhappy. Sometimes they go mad to the extent that they don't want to talk to anyone, including their own relatives. They want to stay in their own circumstances. And they want to cut relationship with everybody outside of them. And now Paul is writing to them, to the Philippians, that they should not worry about him or feel sorrowful for him. But rather he tells them to rejoice because, they, because his chains are really bringing gospel advanced. And you know Paul was a powerful instrument in the hands of God to take the gospel around the world to many nations. And in his 32 plus years, he traveled to many places, planted a dozen churches, shared gospel to thousands of people personally and corporately. And he wrote 13 books of the New Testament that we all rely on. Now, when he did all of this ministry, he did not do out of comfort zone or under favorable circumstances. All that he had in his mind was what he sums up in Acts chapter 20, verse 23. I consider my life worth nothing to me. That is what he often had in his eyes. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. One thing that was in his eyes constantly was to testify the good news of the gospel. That was his task. Forget about what he has done for us, whether he has written 13 books in the New Testament or he has established so many churches but he had one thing in his head that is the task of testifying the good news of God's gospel you know until his last breath he carried out this task of carrying the good news even through pain and suffering but not with complaining but with full of joy and boldness and he could at the end say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. How many of us can say that? Even to this point since you have started your journey long ago. But what we can learn from Paul's life when he had advanced, when he had a goal in his head to advance the gospel, these are the lessons I have for us today. This is what we can learn from his life first. We should rely on God's navigation. Paul relied on the Spirit's navigation. Paul was arrested and suffered four years of confinement, which started in Jerusalem. 
But he was never caught by surprise when he went through the sufferings. He was never afraid when he was confined to a particular situation because he was led by the Spirit. Because he knew that he had to go through the suffering. That's what the Spirit had revealed to him. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he said, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. In other words, I am going to the trouble because the Spirit compelled me to go there. His confidence was not on his circumstances, but his confidence was on God who had called him and on the Spirit that has led him to there. Because God knows how to fulfill his purposes no matter how good they look to us and how bad they look to us. Even the early disciples, they always had Holy Spirit as, his, as their navigator. You know, I was, uh, uh, I was really enthralled when I saw GPS when I first came to the U.S. 14 years ago. I thought it was God sent and divine. <laughs> until I found that, until I found that GPS dropped me in wrong places and took me on wrong roads. <laughs> the apostles never missed their route. You know why? Because they followed their own GPS, the Spirit of God, who knows everything, who says everything, who sees everything so detailed. And they never go wrong if they follow the Spirit of God. You know, apostles made plans. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they made enough plans in their missionary journey, but they never you know, you know, put into practice until they waited for the approval of the Holy Spirit. That means until they checked the map, their GPS map, whether really those plans can succeed for the goal they have in Christ. You know what happened to Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Acts chapter 16? They made missionary plans. And they wanted to go and uh, move around in the province of Asia and preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit tells, reroute. Take a U-turn when possible. Take a U-turn when possible. And then they say, no, 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 we don't. Sometimes we do that, right? We don't follow GPS. We, we think we know. And then we keep going and take when possible, take when possible. Finally, it'll stop doing that. So the Holy Spirit rerouted them twice until they reached the seaport city of Troas where Paul had received in vision a call from Macedonia where the Philippian church was established. Had Paul ignored the leading of the Spirit, the Europe would not have received the gospel as we see today because he followed the orders of GPS, remember GPS, global positioning by the Spirit. <laughs> Another example of GPS that they followed is found in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. The angel of the Lord tells to Philip to arise and go south to the road, the desert road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. How does it sound like? GPS. 
And verse 27, Acts chapter 8 says, So Philip started out without reasoning a bit. And he went down there, and then he saw an Ethiopian reading from the book of Isaiah. And now he shares gospel with him. What happened? He gets immediately baptized. How did that happen? It's not because it happened, Philip had enough wisdom, but it had happened because Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. Today, we do not rely on the Holy Spirit or its power these days. And for the bad part of it, most of the times, we don't even talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in many, many churches today. When disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus, what did Jesus say? Go into the whole world and preach the good news to every creature. But he said to them, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Do not go without the power of the Holy Spirit until the power comes upon you. You can't be successful enough. So they had to go there and wait until the Holy Spirit comes over them. And when they got the Holy Spirit, they began to go in courage and in boldness, transforming lives and turning the kingdoms upside down for the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. But why are we failing today? Because we are not sensitive to the very Spirit of God that wants to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we wanted to use our wisdom. We wanted to use our education. We wanted to use our skills. We want to use our contextualization. We want to use our theology. And we think that that will make us more effective. And of course, they all will work better. But I tell you, if you are in the Spirit of God, if you are led by the Spirit of God, I guarantee that you will never, you'll never stop going to the destiny because the Spirit of God will take you there. You know, when I went to India this time, I went to the western part of India where I wanted to train some pastors there. I had two extra days to visit some of the places where we did a lot of COVID projects, COVID relief projects. And i never been to those places before, but we have lots of work in uh, many states of India that i never been to. So this time, our local coordinator told me, uh, Pastor, can we go to uh, those places in the mountains where we did a lot of COVID relief projects? Um, do you want to see how the Lord is working there through those projects? I said, yeah, let's go. So we drove three hours there by car, and then we checked into a hotel. And then after being there for one hour, I called the coordinator to me and he said, is there any way we can change this hotel, find some other hotel? And then he and his wife thought, I was not happy with the room or the bathroom because they're not clean enough. So he went to town and he actually visited almost uh, five hotels and began to send me the pictures of the room and bathroom by cell phone and asking me, is this okay? And I said, no, no, no. And I said no to almost five of them. And he began to feel, and he, what, what does Manohar think? He thinks that he's coming from States and then now he's trying to show off here. I mean, he didn't say those things I could read from them. 
Then finally, he found someone outskirts of the town who is a rich man and who have a house and they have a section that, rent it, that they rent it out to people like me. And he sent the pictures of bathroom and the bedroom from there. And I said, I like this one. Then they said, okay, we will check out of this hotel. And then they um, took me uh, in the car. And then we will keep going. One kilometer, two kilometers, three kilometers, four, five kilometers. And they will keep going. And then they crossed the city. And they began to go into a village, a dirt road. Yeah, dirt road, look here. And then on the way, I was feeling so sorry for doing that because that was not typical Manohar that you know or I know myself. I slept in the most heinous, dirtiest places in the world. I, tra I traveled sitting between the train coaches where they spit often and traveled for hours and hours together. And I was beaten for Jesus a number of times. I was thrown near the road, left for dead a couple of times. I was not the one to make those changes. I didn't even know, but I was telling them to change the hotel. I was feeling bad in the car, but I was not telling them. And then as soon as we hit the road, and then I quickly cracked two jokes to them. One was, I hope you guys are not kidnapping me. <laughs> and the second joke I said, I hope you are not going to leave me there where there, there will be no cell phone signals and then you come back, and I will have no way of communicating with you. As soon as I said those jokes, immediately I was frozen for a second. Then they asked, Pastor, what happened? Are you okay? I said, I'm okay. But why are you bringing me to a familiar place that I have been to? Then he said, sir, you've never been here. You're the first time. It's the first time for you to come here. You've never been here before. I said, no, no, I have come here. I went to the same dirt road. I have seen these trees already. I know them, and we're going there. He said, no, sir, we're not lying. This is the first time you're making visit to this area. I said, fine. Then we kept going. Finally, we landed in the house. And then we stayed there for two days. And there, there was a lady. The center, that green pants, that lady was dealing with us and she was actually arranging food for us and she said, would you come upstairs and pray? And we couldn't go first day, we couldn't go second day, night, and then third day early morning we were leaving for another place. But that night, 10.30, she came before we leave and she asked, would you, pastor, come upstairs and pray for us? And the pastor next to me said, Ma'am, it is already too late. He's so tired, and we have been visiting all the places from morning till 10.39, and we can't come. And I finally said, let's quickly go and pray and come back. So we went there. As I was going through the steps upstairs, and I saw in kitchen an young lady. She was making some chai or something. And then as soon as I looked at her, and I said to her, I have come for you, actually. My whole trip is here for you. And I didn't know why I said. And it was so sarcastic on her ears, and she gave me a sarcastic laughter. And then we sat there, 
And then we sang, we sang some songs, and I, asked, I told my story, and then I asked each one of them to tell their story. And when her time came, and this young lady, she said, I'm not a Christian. I don't even belong to this house. I just came a month before because I have some issues, so I can't. Then I kept sharing from the word, and then her tears began to fall. She began to cry and weep, and then finally she said, you are revealing everything that happened in my own life. And even this house where I'm staying for one month, I haven't told anything to them. And then she said, I really wanted Jesus. I want to accept Jesus. And at 1.30 in midnight, she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And later I found that her mom lives in New York. Her Her dad is a big businessman in a different country from India. I don't want to mention here. And she said, yes, you actually took this route, this dirt road for me. Until that time I was feeling miserable in my heart for doing such a thing, asking them to change the hotel, but it was worth taking misunderstanding for the name of Jesus until I even found that this soul was waiting probably for all her 32 years for this moment and then she accepts Jesus as her Lord and Savior, Jesus. So let's move on. The second lesson that we get out of this passage that we read this morning is we should be willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. The willingness part, we have to be willing. You know, the kingdom advanced forcefully in the first century because Paul and early missionaries were willing to suffer. And you know, Paul speaks of his suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He speaks of how much he had to work hard and suffer for the sake of Jesus. He was constantly on the move. He was imprisoned frequently. He was flogged severely. And he was stoned, beaten with rods and ropes, experienced shipwrecks. And he was on an open ocean for a day and night. He went to bed hungry and thirsty many times. He was cold and naked, and he had criticism from all walks of life, from church and from outside the church. And he has faced dangers from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, and the list is endless. How? He actually chose suffering because he knows the kingdom work involves suffering and danger. You know, when I came first to the U.S. and I requested uh, to a group of people to pray for the persecution in India, and they began to pray, Lord, please take away the persecution, protect my brothers. Then at the end I said, no, I am not pleased with, with your prayer. I said, what's wrong? No, I haven't requested you to pray that we will not have persecution. I said, you should pray that we'll have boldness. We'll have courage to stand strong in the face of persecution and witness gospel to them. 
Do you think Paul could have avoided the opposition in Jerusalem that happened almost three years prior to this writing? Yes, he could have, because the Holy Spirit told when he would go there, he would be tied. And he would be led away. And the elders and the disciples warned him not to even go to Jerusalem because he's going to face persecution there. But he said, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a radical obedience to the kingdom's work. Obedience. So the path, the path of suffering Paul took did not disappoint him. His suffering gave him joy and courage because people began to join him in accomplishing the task of proclaiming Christ to others. And godly suffering, in fact, produces fruit. We always think when people suffer, they are becoming inactive. They are not becoming fruitful. But actually, the opposite reaction happens. When you go through godly suffering, you produce fruit. That's what happened to Paul, Silas in Acts chapter 16. When they were stripped and severely flogged and beaten with rods and thrown into prison. And they were suffering there just because they set a slave girl free from the bondage of evil spirit, and what happened? They began to sing the more. They began to rejoice the more. And then what happened? There is an earthquake, and the jailer was afraid, and jailer comes to the Lord. That is what the godly suffering produces. We should not hate sufferings. We should not hate inconveniences that we go through. My time is almost up. I'm still in second point. <laughs> and I wish they removed this clock when I come here to preach. <laughs> you know, this man, Reddy, I met him in a pastor's conference. He came early morning to me, and then I was really scared because he looked like a thug. He was very tall and physical, and he was really thug. And I thought, you know, I, I know the persecution happens. Sometimes they knock on the door, they say, I'm pastor, and they will say, you're arrested. Then I began to talk. Then he said, yes, I was a thug, and I was uh, beating people because I didn't like Jesus. And I sent many people to jail. And one day, I myself had to go into jail because I accidentally beaten someone to death. That's when I met a pastor in jail. And I saw everybody was unhappy and discouraged, and I saw a happiest person in jail. That was pastor. And he began to share the gospel with me. And then when I saw his lifestyle, I, I thought, oh, this is what gives me joy, not the power that I could kill people and attack people. And then he accepted Jesus when he came out and he began to preach the gospel. Today, he has a big restaurant in that area and then he doesn't even take care of his restaurant. He sits there and he preaches gospel to everyone who comes there and even whole staff who are non-Christians have to listen to the gospel and go through the prayer that he sets for them every early morning. And he asked me to go to his hotel. I went there and I saw him how passionate he was even in his own business and he's not afraid he said if the lord takes over this business because i am preaching i would be more glad for the eternity than to have a lot of money on this earth 
Yeah, my time is up, but I want to end this with uh, an illustration. I was reading an article in the Christian Index website two years ago where I read how Coca-Cola Company achieved its mission of taking its brand to the rest of the world. It was established in Atlanta in 1892 and remained as an American drink until 1970s, when the company seriously thought of globally expanding its brand. The executives of the company were filled with passion to make Coca-Cola available to every person on the planet, no matter what hindrance they would face. And they believed in the brand, worked so hard. So what happened? Within 50 years of their global goal, 97% of the world population had heard the name of Coca-Cola. And within that 50 years of their global goal, 72% of the world population have seen at least the logo of Coca-Cola. And 51% of the world population has tasted the Coke within that 50 years. Today, more than 10,000 Cokes are consumed every second. How many Cokes? Every second? By the time my preaching is over, and you need to calculate and see how many Cokes are consumed. <laughs> Someone said if Jesus had given the task of the proclamation of the gospel to Coca-Cola Company. <laughs> the gospel would have already been presented to every person on the planet. But I tell you, my friends, the task of proclaiming the good news of gospel is not given to Coca-Cola, Amazon. It's given to you and me under the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we can go and even the suffering will not stop us. And finally, we will be able to say that my suffering has brought lots of fruit for the kingdom of God. Shall we close our eyes? Father, we thank you that you have reminded us of our task of being a people who would carry the light to others and shine our light before others. God, we are trying to be hiding our own light because of the fear of the world or because of criticisms or because of suffering that we presume. But Lord, I pray that you will give us courage like Paul and disciples in the first century so that we'll move forward with full trust, knowing that you will be with us in suffering. You will even bring fruit despite suffering, Lord. God, thank you for High Point that touches the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.